Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. And I was a bodybuilder uh, as a competitive bodybuilder. And so I was going around to these different gyms, the gym I was training at, I asked them if they would sponsor me because I was so broke. And I, can you just give me a free membership? And they said, no, we don't do that. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. If you're new to the show, guys, go and hit that subscribe because you don't want to miss any more episodes. If you're new, you've missed so many already. You can go back and listen to them, but click that subscribe so you don't miss any more. If you're not new to the show and you're enjoying it and you haven't hit subscribe yet, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Go and do it. Go hit that subscribe. Go do it. It takes two seconds. Helps me out a ton. It allows me to get that love that I need to know I should keep going and continue with the show. Uh, But seriously, guys, go and hit that if you don't Uh, if you don't want to miss any more shows and I hope that you don't, cause I have, wow, today's a great one. I have Rich Fetke on the show. He is the author of the wise investor, a modern parable about creating financial freedom and living your best life. He's a real estate broker, active investor, co-founder of real wealth, a real estate investment group that helps over 60,000 members improve their financial intelligence, secure passive income come and obtain financial freedom. He was selected as a rich dad author for his expertise as a wealth mindset expert. He also is the author of Extreme Success, which he wrote years ago. A great book. And he's been featured on TV, radio, print, USA Today, Entrepreneur Magazine, Wall Street Journal. This is a real deal, guys. This is this guy's a hitter. And uh, he has just tons of information that he drops in in this interview. It was a fun interview. Uh, He's not only an interesting, smart guy, he's also really fun to talk to, which is awesome for me as a a host, uh, because that always makes it much more fun when they're truly, truly interesting and engaging. And he really was. Uh, This was a gold bomb after gold bomb bomb episode, and I'm excited that you guys are here for this one. So without any further delay, I bring you Rich Fedke. All right, Rich, thank you for being on Just Start Real Estate. I really appreciate your time and and thanks for agreeing to do this. 
Yeah, great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hope to give some value for your listeners. Good. I hope so too. And I, I know that we will. Uh, I, I've learned a bit about you over the last little bit here while we were getting ready to uh, have you on the show. And uh, your your uh, your knowledge, obviously, but your experience is, is vast and mind-blowing. So I'm sure we could be here for three hours and the learning would never stop. Uh, but I, will not, I won't put you through three hours, but we're going to see what we can do here in the time that we have to really uh, extract some great uh, some great nuggets for the listeners and bring value. So again, thank you for doing this. Um, if you could, because the listeners haven't, like me, been researching you and trying to figure out what, what you're about, can uh, we give them a little uh, short background on you and who you are and, and how you came into the world of real estate specifically? Sure. Um, well, 20 years ago, I was a business coach. I got certified back in 1995 um, when coaching, you had to tell people what kind of coaching you did. People always thought it was a sport back then. <laughs> uh, but so I was I was coaching. I had a thriving coaching practice. Uh, I had a wife, a couple of daughters, and I had just signed a book deal with Simon & Schuster and I had just gone on my national book tour. So I was on top of the world feeling great. And then I was diagnosed with melanoma which is a deadly form of skin cancer, sure. the deadliest form. And they thought it spread to my liver. And after several tests, I met with an oncologist and he said, it looks like it's made it to your liver. So you probably have about six months to live. Holy cow. Okay. Okay. Hang on a second. No. That, that is, I don't want to skip past that. What is yeah. that? I, and I've, I've never interviewed someone who, who said that. So I'm just curious because obviously you had way more than six months, which is great. <laughs> but yeah. what is that? What do you do? Like what, what goes through your, what went through your head when you were told that? Like, what's your first thought? This is surreal. This is not happening. Then get, leaving the oncologist's office, driving home, I started just punching my steering wheel and crying. And it was like, no, you know, life was so good. I was on top of the world and realizing that I had a, a three-year-old daughter, a 10-year-old daughter that I wouldn't see them grow up or might not see them grow up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it really rocked me. And, wow. uh, and then later I met with, I had to go through several more tests to eventually find out it was a false positive. They call Holy it, it was a cow. misdiagnosis. It was the masses on my liver were just clusters of blood vessels that, a lot of us have 20% of the population has that somewhere yeah. in their body. Yeah. Um, but it was, it really rocked me. I was, I met with one guy who's a kind of a coach therapist, spiritual healer. And my wife had set up an appointment with him. And I remember telling him, I said, you know, it's like 80% of the time, I think I'm going to be fine. I'm going to survive this. I'm going to be fine. But 20% of the time I, I have this inner voice that's really scary tells me I'm not going to be here. And I break down in tears and all that. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, never entertain that thought ever again. From now on, you tell yourself you're going to be a hundred percent cancer free. You're going to be fine. You're going to survive this. And at first I got a little pissed at him. I'm like, how dare you tell me, you know, I'm in this hard place, you know, like yeah. any victim. Yeah. Um, but I slept on it. And the next day I woke up and I was like, you know what? He's right. What's it going to get me to focus on that 20%? Yeah. Just worry and stress and all that. So I shifted then. So that's what I went through emotionally and all the craziness. How, what was the period um, then, of time? I'm sorry to interrupt, but what was the period of time from the time that they said you have potentially six months to live until you found out it was a false positive? Like how long did you live with that diagnosis? Great question. It was a little shy of three months, almost oh, three months. Oh man, that's a 
And that's like half of your projected life at that point, right? I mean, that's (laughs) half of the time they told you you probably had to live. That's insane. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like three months. And then, so I I went, I got a a CAT scan. I got an ultrasound. All these were coming back showing the same masses, but it wasn't until, so I had to wait for a PET scan, which is a very advanced cancer scan. Uh, And they said, we got your appointment. And that was about uh, three months after that initial diagnosis Holy and that showed me 100% cancer free. And so the doctors like I'm not sure what it is. It must be hemangiomas. We won't know unless we operate, which we're not going to do. But here I am 20 years later, I'm cancer free, feeling great. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> so that's obviously the the great news of all of this. Um I I can imagine like it's almost like a well it is a, a near death experience right i mean it's like a but it's like not a flash like my life flashed before my eyes because i got in a car wreck it's no. like a 3 month car wreck where all <laughs> you could do is yeah. think about your mortality i would imagine so holy cow what I, well i'm not going to put words in your mouth but i'm i got to believe that when one goes through something like that nothing seems you know really all that out of control or so bad after that? Like how much worse could you get than thinking you're not going to see your kids grow up or, you know, you're not going to be able to grow old with your wife and just goodness gracious. I can't even imagine, um, probably put you right into perspective if you weren't already. I mean, it definitely must've. I I was in a good perspective already um, because I was a coach, because I was focused on living a balanced life as balanced as I could get, you know, and taking time for myself, being present with my family. And I remember saying to Kathy, my wife, uh, when I thought I might be going, I was like, I'm so glad that I took that time to be with you guys. I'm so glad that I took Fridays off to be family time and to be adventure time, we called it. Yeah. Um, and But then after that, after I was um, diagnosed cancer-free and I had some surgeries to remove the melanoma, then yeah, in life, it's <laughs> I, I can lose, I've lost a couple hundred thousand dollars in a bad investment. And yeah. I'm like, it's money. I'm still alive. I'm <laughs> yeah, here. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it does. It, it really, you know, it definitely takes the stress out of normal, normal situations or situations don't matter. Absolutely. But that, the reason I tell that story is because it is what it was the impetus to get us into real estate investing. So uh, being a coach, I was, um, you know, really trading time for dollars, you know, working it at a good career, making decent six figures. Um, But my wife, Kathy, was a stay-at-home mom. So Kathy's the one who in that period said, what am I going to do financially? And so she started to seek out mentors and she started to talk to financially successful people. And those people that she talked to most of them made their money through real estate. Mm. And so she sought out these mentors. She connected with a mortgage broker who is also a successful investor. And he told us about investing, told Kathy about investing. And that is what set us on the path. So from there, um, after I was given the clear diagnosis, we were hooked. (laughs) And so we went to um, Dallas, Texas. We had a a property in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so we did a cash out refi. We got some money out of that house because it had appreciated. And we went to a town north of uh, Dallas called Rockwell, Texas. And we bought five investment properties and they were cash flowing. And that it shows a whole new way to create financial freedom. Nice. So that's what got us into real estate investing. And then from there, we had family and friends saying, how are you doing this? How are you investing out of state, buying properties and how are you managing them and all that? So we decided to just form a small group 
for our friends and family. And then Kathy had started a small radio show in San Francisco at oh. the time. Talk, she became a mortgage broker. So she's talking about real estate investing okay. and she could help people with their loans. Um, and so these people were saying, how are you doing it? So we said, you know, let's form a group of people that we can help. We can network, help each other, yeah. show people how we're doing this. And that group, uh, we call it Real Wealth. And um, so today that group has grown to over 64,000 members today. So, so not we thought, just, we thought not it was going to be maybe 100 people. Yeah, I was going to say, not just close friends and family anymore, it sounds like. No, no, it's grown into an amazing network of incredible people. Nice. And we've helped thousands of people create financial freedom. It's, That's it's amazing. quite the blessing. So so the curse of the diagnosis ended up being a blessing in so yeah. many ways. Gosh, I can imagine. It's like every day you wake up, no matter how bad it is, at least you don't have, you know, this horrible diagnosis of, you know, impending death yeah. over your head, right? I mean, it can't, hard to complain after that. So I know that you also had a health club franchise. How did that happen? How did that come into play? Yeah, that was a long time ago. So that was when I was 23. Okay. I was studying to be a chiropractor. I got my associates in pre-chiropractic and I was a bodybuilder. I was a competitive bodybuilder. And so I was going around to these different gyms. The gym I was training at, I asked them if they would sponsor me because I was so broke. And I, yeah. can you just give me a free membership? And they said, no, we don't do that. So after training in a bunch of gyms, around the country, around the whole East coast is where I'm from is from Boston. Originally, um, my friend and I and training partner were just like, we could do a better gym than these, you know? And so we went at it. <laughs> and so we opened that gym when we were 23 years old and wow. grew it from four employees up to 23 employees, expanded it from an 8,000 uh, square foot facility up to a 26,000 square foot facility. So it was huge <laughs> needless to say at that age at 23 and broke business you wanted someone to yeah. sponsor you because you were broke how did you start a gym i mean there's equipment that's right? a great question so we went to the bank that had the space it was an old Al almy's uh, department store and it was you know went out of business so they had this empty space in the lower level of this big commercial building that no one was taking and we're like this is perfect for a gym yeah. and they financed the whole they financed all of the tenant improvements they put in the locker rooms the, the um, the, wow. whole, the toilets, everything. And then we got a lease for the equipment and it was our parents helped a lot. Our parents co-signed on the loan for us. And I told them if this goes south and it doesn't work, I promise you, you will, I will pay that back. I'll work two full-time jobs. I'll make it happen. And so luckily it worked, you know, it wasn't working the first, the first year it was terrible. Uh, we had to go and ask for more money, almost went out of business. Wow. And then this thing back then called, um, electronic funds transfer happened. This is back in 1989. Okay. And it was this magical thing where people could automatically have their payments made each month from their bank account. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we started to see our recurring revenue grow and grow and grow. And so after seven years, I sold my share in that. I had a 52% ownership in that business. I sold, sold that, packed up my Toyota 4Runner, drove around, drove across the country to California so that was just my dream. I always wanted to live in California. Yeah. That's, so that was the that was the gym story, but learned so many lessons. I mean, you had parents co-signing, but I know I'm old enough to know that uh, banks don't typically bet on 23-year-old kids to open something and give loans to. So my guess is that you were um, 
pretty impressive at a young age. You, you must have been, right? They're not going to, they still want to see some some signs that their investment's going to work out, right? So kudos to yeah. you. That's amazing. And I, I always love, and I'm glad that we kind of went there for a minute because I, I just don't think that those excuses are valid age, whether it be too young or too old, right? You're not, mm. you're not too young or too old. Now's the time, right? I, some people, I think, they think they're not going to get taken seriously at 23, and so they just sort of wait to to do the things yeah, they want yeah. to do. So I love that you just went for it and got this huge loan, and you know you did go back to the bank. I'm sure that wasn't easy and takes a little bit of finesse and probably some really good arguments um, to get them to listen to you. Um, so that was that was in your past, obviously. Um, and I'm just sort of skipping around here because there's just an interesting, very, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Kind of eclectic. Maybe that's not fair, but like X Games, you were in the ESP X, ESPN X game. It's like a little eclectic. It's it's interesting, right? I'm just sort of like <laughs> cherry picking stuff. But what did what what did that look like? How did you? How first of all, I you you're kind of telling. I'm triangulating your age a little bit. Um, when were you in the X Games? Like, at what age range are we talking? That today I'm 58. I'm version 58.5 of myself. Okay. By the way, <laughs> and, um, by the way, I never w- I, without you giving me some context, I never would have guessed you're 58. So uh, obviously, you. take Thank care you. of yourself. Appreciate so, that. Nice job. <laughs> and do my best. Yeah. So that was 1995. The X okay. Games. Okay. It was the first X Games. They called it the Extreme Games. Yeah, the next year they I remember the X Games. Yeah, I'm 51. Uh, it was in so Providence. I'm, I'm right there with you. I sort of remember okay, this yeah, time yeah. frame. So. so you got it. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. And. Uh, so um, I was uh, I competed in bungee jumping. The first X Games, they had skydiving, they had bungee jumping, they had street luge, they had all these extreme sports. <laughs> yeah, extreme yeah. was the big word right then. Yep. Um, but I had done a whole bunch of bungee jumping with my younger brother. We had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. We jumped off Forest Hill Bridge, which is the highest bridge on the West Coast. And and so anyway, they reached out and they had seen this ESPN special that a film uh, friend filmed. Then they just said, hey, invite those guys too. So there were people from all over the world competing in the bungee. And it was the Canadian high divers that just kicked butt. They just, they took first, second, and third place because they're amazing <laughs> high divers. And yeah. you just hook a bungee cord to their ankle and they do the same thing. Exactly. But it was a blast. That's it was a blast. Awesome. How cool is that, man? Um, and then it, it has here in, <laughs> and then my notes, a really lame distance runner. What, like, what does that mean? Are you just like doing it, but you don't think you're good at it? Like, what does that exactly mean? I'm not good at it. No, I'm just, okay. gonna, I try it. I'm like really, <laughs> I'm really bad at it. I'm, my body's not built for running. My my body's you know, made for lifting things, I yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> lifting heavy things, huh? That's right. awesome. I'm putting them back down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So let's talk about, you wrote a book uh, called The Wise Investor, a modern parable yes. about creating financial freedom and living your best life. Love mm. it. I don't think that that subject could, if if that subject doesn't interest you, um, I think you're you're just kind of, you're living a bad life in my opinion, or you're just, I don't know what it is, but who doesn't <laughs> want to have financial freedom and live their best life? And I think sometimes, and I want to get into this, sometimes people think financial freedom means excessive workloads, like work-life imbalance. Like you can't be in balance and you can't have the life necessarily that you, it's like financial freedom or do what I want. And I can't really Mm -hmm. have both because if I do what I want, 
I'm not working hard enough. And if I work hard enough, right. I won't have time to do what I want. So talk to me about why you wrote the book. I know it's not your first book, right? It's it's not the first book you ever wrote. Um, right. But but why did you write this one? And by the way, I wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called Level Jumping. And I know writing a book is not easy, right? It's a huge, huge, huge undertaking. And uh, I don't know if I would want to do it again, maybe, but it was hard <laughs> enough that it's like, it felt a little bit like childbirth. It, it, it was hard. It was painful enough that I might want to rethink maybe if I want to do it again. I might need a few more years behind me before I forget how it was. But why did you write yeah. the book and, and tell me what was the purpose behind that one? Yeah. So my other book, my book before this, the one with Simon and Schuster, it was called Extreme Success, Relating yeah. Adventure Sports and Extreme Sports to Business and Life and Dealing with Fear and Staying Focused. And this book came 20 years later. So I was same as you. It was like having a baby, or <laughs> at least what I've heard from my wife. You yeah. know, you have a baby. Oh, I, and come on. Couple, writing a book is harder than having a baby, right? No, I'm just yeah, right. Just <laughs> Half of my listeners that, right? are now clicking off. This guy's an idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, uh, but it's the type of thing where you, you know, you do it and then it's going to, it takes a couple of years before you're like, I could do that again. Yeah, right. um, yeah. But it took 20 years for me. And it was because I was running this company, Real Wealth, uh, helping people invest in real estate and growing this company, which didn't, it's not really that big. We got up to 27 employees right now. We have 22. Um, so it's a small company, but um, help a lot of people. Yeah. So the reason I wrote this book or, or why 20 years later is because I have a coach that I talk to every other Friday and he uh, read my first book. So he's always kind of nudging me every so often. He's like, when are you going to write your next book? When are you going to write your next book? And I'm like, I wrote my book. And then I got into this thing called story branding. Yeah. Uh, I read Building a Story Brand by Don Miller yep. and applied that to our business, seeing the customer as the hero and we're the guide. And then I read Joseph Campbell's work about the hero's journey. Yep. And I'm like, this whole storytelling hero's journey thing is fascinating. And then I said that once to my coach, I said, you know, if I was going to write a book, I'd probably write a story. I could do that like a parable yeah. to share these, these lessons in a story form, something that's engaging and all. And so that was it that had planted the seed. And then I was, then I got obsessed with the whole idea that my reticular activating system already started, <laughs> saw all these parables. And I started reading and listening to audible books and parables and things. And yeah. so the wise investors kind of like a blend of like rich dad, poor dad, and the alchemist and the pearl and the richest man in Babylon all blended ah, into one book. It's bad. a modern story. Um, so yeah, it's just, that's it. I wanted to write a story that people would be engaged in to emotionalize the information, to elicit a change in people. And I think a story does that more powerful than just a nonfiction factual book. Yeah. I wanted to convey these lessons in a story so it would really sink in and elicit a change in the reader. It's smart. You know, I, rich dad, poor dad, I can't even imagine, like, if I were if I were Robert Kiyosaki and someone said, you can keep all your royalties from rich dad, poor dad, or you can get 1% of the money that was generated and inspired by your book, I think you'd have to take oh, yeah. the 1%, right? Like, Easy. I mean, everybody I talked to, it's like that book was like the beginning. That's what kind of stirred their their curiosity about real estate and, and that, you know, investing mindset. It's amazing, right? And so the, the reason I say that is because I typically um, go right to the non- fiction, factual-based business books when I'm thinking. But honestly, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think because it's a parable, has a much longer 
long-term uh, impact in people's brains because you don't forget stories. You yeah. forget facts, but not stories. So mm-hmm. kudos to you for not only writing a book, probably taking a more challenging route because you're not only trying to convey information, yeah. but you're trying to do an interesting story. And that's that's kind of combining two um, genres of, of books typically and putting it into one. And that's just, that's awesome. Were the people in your book based on someone that you actually know or are they completely fictional? It's a fictional story, but based on tr- a weave of true stories, true people. Um, so definitely the the protagonist, his name is Ryan Brooks in it. He's this hardworking family man. He's got a wife, a couple kids. Uh, he's making a good six figure, maxing out his 401k, but he has no financial freedom. His lifestyle matches his income. He has no time because he's working so many hours, no time for his wife, his kids. So that's, you know, it's, he is a combination of so many of the stories that We've heard at Real Wealth from our members at Real Wealth, they come in and they're the Henrys, the high earners, not rich yet people, right? And those, those, yep. there are a lot of people out there like that, especially up in the San Francisco Bay Area where we started our company. Yeah. And they don't realize that they can have their money make money for them, that they can apply some of those lessons in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, you know, the cool thing about it, Robert Kiyosaki liked the story so much that um, Rich Dad authors published my book oh, and wow. Robert Kiyosaki wrote, wrote the forward for me. So wow. quite the blessing on that side of things. Yeah, yeah it's hard to beat that. The, like the godfather yeah. of like business parables is, is endorsing you. That's amazing. Right. I felt like I was being knighted or something. Yeah. <laughs> really well, cool. you were, I think, actually. Um, what do you mean by real wealth? You talk about that in the book. The uh, the mentor talks about real wealth. What does real wealth yeah. mean? And it's a great question. That is why we called our company that, because we see real wealth is having both the money and the freedom to live life on your own terms. Yep. So real wealth goes beyond just just money. You know, it's that old saying, some people are so poor, all they have is money. And so we don't want to focus on that. We want to focus on using that money to have a fulfilling life, to have freedom of time, to be able to do what you want with the people you want to be with when you want to do it. So that's what real wealth is to us. It's having enough monthly cash flow, especially a passive income that supports your lifestyle. So you can really have that freedom to really live. And so you can, obviously I'm passionate about that with my diagnosis and what I went through. I'm very passionate about getting the most out of every day of life now. Absolutely. Do you find that the folks, I'm skipping a little bit around here, but the folks in your real wealth program, because you're taking some of those stories and things that you're hearing and you're talking about real wealth is kind of being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Do you find that most people in your group or that people that you've encountered over the years want extreme wealth or they want more of a lifestyle uh, level of income where they can kind of come and go as they please and their all their basic needs are taken care of plus a little bit? Or do you find that most people want that excess, you know, in wealth? Mm, that's, that's wild because I haven't really been asked that question. I really looked at it. But when I do look at it, I notice that our network and what we've built is built on our culture and our focus. Mm. And it's all about that. It's about living life now, living on your own terms, having, it's more about freedom and having the finances to do that more than that. But it's, it's about what you want. You know, what does real wealth look to to you, look like to you? And that's what we always ask people, especially when we're meeting them for the first time, we're coaching them and looking at what they want to build. But I think the culture that we built 
it attracts that type of member. It's someone who's wanting that type of freedom. Whereas there's other groups, um, both financial planners and real estate investment groups that are more focused on, you know, the founders of the company are standing in front of their Lamborghini and they're pointing at the camera and they have their gold all over them. Stuff. <laughs> I think they attract a different type of member into their, which is totally fine, but it's just, you know, aren't we just a different type of vibe. So do the, do the people inside of your group, are they, are they exclusively being, okay, I mean, let me reword that. I was going to word it in a weird way. Are you talking exclusively about real estate investing or is it just all kinds of different ways of building wealth or is it strictly real estate? It's our focus. Our main mechanism is uh, real estate for sure. That's okay. so we have property teams and brokers around the country that we've established decades long relationship with that we, so we know we trust them and we refer our members. We provide all of our education for free to our members, which most gurus and real estate don't do. Um, so we provide, we've produced almost a thousand free webinars, educating people, our investment counselors meet with people for free to coach them and guide them to create a, a wealth plan. And then we refer them to these property teams and these brokers around the country so they can acquire cash flowing investment properties gotcha. and build a portfolio. And so our main focus is definitely real estate. And, and that's the way we monetize our business. I'm a real estate broker, so I get a broker to broker referral fee, yep. just like any real estate broker does when they refer a client over. Yep. So that's, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's all focused on real estate as the wealth building instrument. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we also put a big focus on a lot of our webinars, a lot of when we do live events, and especially when I speak, it's about what is your best life look like yep. and how can you live that and how does, how does wealth building fit into that great lifestyle. Yeah, I, that's so cool. And I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't, I don't want to make this assumption, but it sounds like we're talking about a lot of single family home investing. It sounds like that's what you're talking about, but is it multifamily? Is it is it short-term rentals also? Like, uh, it doesn't sound like flipping. That's not passive, right? So what, what kind of, what's, are we talking about single family investing mostly? Is that mostly what it is? Yeah, mostly we started in okay. single family investing, one to four units. Uh, a lot of people buy a duplex or four a quad. Um, mm -hmm. We've been doing a lot of short term rentals lately oh, because okay. of the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, it's just hard to get cash flow nowadays in a regular single family yeah. with interest rates where they are and prices where they are. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of our members are acquiring single, um, I mean, short term rentals gotcha. from our property teams. Okay. And we also do, we syndicate in 2010. We started the business in 2003. And then in 2010, we started syndicating, doing um, development, mostly residential development. Gotcha. And so investors will pool their funds and buy a unit and we all invest together and we'll invest in a residential subdivision and build that. And then everyone profits from that. So not a lot nice. of multifamily, a little bit, you know, we'll maybe maybe two or three multifamily purchases a month from our members uh, max. Okay. But that's okay. not our yeah. our main focus, but I have friends in the industry that that's their main focus. So yeah. we'll usually just refer over to them. Okay, perfect. I love it. Um, so going back to the book for a minute, the mentor in your story uh, explains how wealthy people think compared to poor people. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, this is big to me because living in Malibu, California, I see a lot of wealthy people or a lot of rich people, I should say, yeah. but not all of them are wealthy in my perspective. Uh, they're grumpy. They don't have time with their kids. Yeah. Uh, our daughter went to Malibu High, so she'd come home with these stories about um, kids who hadn't seen their parents in weeks because they're traveling the world or they're out in their business trips or something. So it's 
that's not real wealth to us or to me. So the mentor in the story is describing a few things. He's talking about how truly wealthy people focus on a few things. One, it's about time is their most important asset that they focus on. And he even says, you know, assets, he has a different definition of assets beyond just a financial. He says a, a true asset is something that provides income or better health or more happiness or more time. And a liability is just the opposite. It's something that takes away from your income or your health or your happiness or your time. Yep. So it's that's one of the ways that wealthy people think. And what I've seen in meeting lots of wealthy people now, truly wealthy people, they value time number one. They also value education over entertainment is a big difference with wealthy people. They put more of their focus on becoming better, learning, growing, educating themselves instead of getting lost and checking out in entertainment. And entertainment's fine. A mentor says this in the story. It just don't let it get in your way of your education or of your growth. Right. So that's another way. And then another way is, I mean, there's so many different lessons that the mentor shares, but one that stands out to me is envy. And there's a lot of people who envy, they look at people with money and they make up a story. They're like, yeah. oh, how did they make that story? How did would they finagle? How did they, they're crooked or something like that? Or wealthy people are not happy and, or they see their house and they're like, who needs a house that big? And it's, there's some envy in there Yeah. and wealthy people are inspired. So wealthy people look at someone else who has that, that home and they're like, wow, that's inspiring. I wonder what they did to get that. I'm yeah. sure it's something awesome. You know? So it's just a different, it's a mindset. And yeah. I've noticed that when you get yourself in that mindset, instead of turning envy into inspiration, that's when all of a sudden you start to have more of what you want in your life. Totally. I, I, that's so cool. And I love the distinction between rich and wealthy. Um, I brought my daughter to an event recently where there was a, a lot of really successful, financially successful real estate investors and people that I've known for a while um, mm. at an event. And um, and she was just saying how amazed she was at how kind they were, number one. Um, yeah. Number two, how much they talked about family and the desire mm-hmm. to increase their time with their family and how important it was to, yes. to be at home. And, to, and she's like, I'm just surprised that all these people who make all this money are the mostly talking about time, the value of time and the value of, of having a strong family unit and being with their kids. Like she said, I didn't expect that. I expected to hear only about how to make money, make more money, how to increase your money, how to buy more houses. It was a real estate thing. And she's like, I'm just surprised at how incredibly kind they were and how giving, how, wow. how generous with their information and their knowledge. And I, I, just, I don't know about you, but for me, I find that by your definition, wealthy people tend to be the most generous, kind, family-oriented, wholesome people that I know. Those are like, Mm -hmm. you know, they just... They just exude that, and they just—you can just tell—they're—they're they're happy, they're living a, a balanced, you know, life on their terms, and and nothing makes a person happier yeah. than being able to do that. And I think when you're truly happy, uh, you're happy to give, and you're happy. You know, there's just an abundance mentality about you, and, and so I think that's really, really great that that's included in the book. Um, yeah, how cool it, that she noticed that too. Yeah, I love that. R- very much so. And it's funny. This is something I've never told. It's a little personal, but. There was a time when I have two daughters uh, when they were younger, like mid-teens, you know, 14, 15 years old. And um, at the time when they were that age, I was working full-time and I was starting to do real estate on the side. It was a side hustle, right? And so it takes up some time. And uh, at one point, my my older daughter, who can be 
really prickly, um, said, you only care about money. And I was like, wow, it hurt because it wasn't true, but I was having to work more to try to, you know, escape that, that nine to five gravitational pull, right? I was trying to do something extra to get outside of that. And, and now they're older, obviously, and we've joked about it. And they're like, she was like, yeah, I was just an angry teenager, didn't understand anything. I see now that you knew you had to put in a little extra time for a few years to spend the rest of your life the way you want to spend it. And so it turned into Mm. this inspirational thing that was born from misunderstanding of what, what was actually happening. So, um, anyways, it just kind of, a. uh, yeah, I don't know how that even came into my head. But you also talked in the book about uh, there being no such thing. And, and I kind of want to end with this because I'm very curious about this. But there's no such thing as self-made success. Well, tell me right. about that. I'm very That's a very curious thing to me. So I'm, I'm interested to hear how that was portrayed. Yeah, it kind of drives me crazy in the sense of, you know, you hear people say, oh, he's a self-made success or she's a self-made success. It's like, I get it. I get what they're saying, but it's the the most successful people that I know. Whenever you talk to them, and I'm sure the same with you, they always talk about who helped them get there, Mm -hmm. the mentors in their life, the, the people on their team and all that stuff. So what happens when we get into that self-made success, sometimes what we do is we like, we can buckle down and just be like, well, I have to be a self-made success. So I'm going to put in the extra hours. I'm just going to clench my jaw. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get out of balance. Like, you know, it's like, I'm going to not pay attention on my family right now because I have to be a self-made success, but it's flipping that around. So it's almost like that Dan Sullivan, the who, not how, I think it's a better approach to be like, okay, I want, this is the success I want. This is the goal, or this is my purpose. This is the difference I want to make. How can I do that? And who can help me get there? And if you come from a self-made success, you often don't look at the who. You look at, it's up to me. Yeah, it's that even that old saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. You know, it's so easy. I used to say that to myself and I used to struggle and fight hard. And I thought the harder I worked, the more successful I would be. And it took some time to realize that, no, it's like, it's the other people that you team up with. the, The associations you have with other people is the game changer. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think the big the big fallacy is that you can do it without any help. And I think for the most part, like you said, most successful people that I talk to, if I ask them, can you name somebody who was pivotal <laughs> or, or critical or indispensable in your growth and your success, can you give me one? And they're usually like, yeah, I can give you more than one, but here's one for <laughs> sure that comes right to mind, right? I have the same thing. I, I have some mm. mentors that came into my life and I was just really treading water. I thought I was really stroke, you know, really swimming hard, but I was kind of treading water. And it's like they kind of point you in the right direction and kind of give you some stuff. And yeah, it made all the difference for me. And that's how I went from working a nine to five and having a side hustle to like exploding into like my own thing and, and having a little more success. Awesome. So yeah, so cool. And and I just want to uh, make sure that we say it again, guys, go and grab the book. I assume they get this on Amazon or should they go somewhere else? Where would? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazon's the easiest place. It's okay. all over there. It's called the wise investor. There's the cover. There you go. Uh, it is um, it's on Amazon right now. It's out on Kindle as an ebook. It's in other all major bookstores, and uh, and the end of August it'll come out as a hardcover and an audiobook. So, are you reading the audiobook or having somebody else read it? 
I, I did. That was a fun challenge because there's 10 different characters. There's kids, there's, there's females and males. <laughs> so uh, what I did is I took a voice acting, two voice acting lessons on how to do um, voiceover voice acting for audiobooks. So we'll see. We'll see what the reviews are like when it comes out. <laughs> well, first of all, per- perfect example of what we just said, right? You had this thing you had to do and you you went and, and got help, right? Like, I need help. I need someone to coach me on this. I can't just do it on my own. Um, I feel for you, man. I, I read an audiobook myself. <laughs> wasn't even mine, honestly. I haven't done an audiobook for mine. Somebody asked me to read an audiobook for it, a friend of mine. Wow. Uh, and I was honored. And of course, I said yes. Uh, wh- Harder than writing the book, but just in a much more compressed sprint, right? Like it was like, it took me like three or four so days, but my goodness. And I talk a lot. I talk here. I, I speak places, whatever. My voice has never been so wrecked as when I was reading an audiobook. And I don't know about you. And this is like probably not interesting for the audience. So guys, go get the book. You can turn this off if you want. I just want to say <laughs> this to him real quick. Um, I, so I was go- I went to a place that that does this. And this was my friend had never written a book before, never you know commissioned anyone to like record in a studio. And uh, mm-hmm. I went there and they had me scheduled for three eight hour days. And when I got there, they said, so are you, is this something you do all the time? Is this like reading? Is that your <laughs> profession or whatever? And I said, no, I've never read an audiobook before. And they go, oh, because we only really suggest two to three hours at a time when it's your first time doing it because your voice right. will just get wrecked. And I was like, are you kidding me? But I see why. The first day I did it, like my throat was killing me after eight hours. And I had to get, I had to rent one more day so I could spread out the other 16 hours because I was like, I cannot read eight hours a day for three days straight. It's very hard to do. Wow. I hope your friend paid you well. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was, a, it was actually just, it was, it was just a, a favor, honestly, but um, I'm oh, glad I did amazing. it. Listen, every, like everything, I mostly did it because he's my friend. I partially did it because I had never done it before. And I really kind of wanted to see, I wanted the challenge. I wanted to see what it would be like to do. And it was harder than yeah. I thought, to be perfectly honest. It was really not easy. <laughs> Gets easier as you do it, right? My wife yeah. is recording her, she wrote her book in 2014 and she's finally getting around to do an audio book. And this, that's last week, she did two sessions in the studio. They were like six hours and yeah, so but she's a, she's a pro, you know, so she just, she just gets it, but yeah. it is, uh, you get to the end of the day and you just want to just oh, drop. It's it's <laughs> weird because like you were you were um, a bodybuilder, right? So you know what it means to be physically exhausted. Being yeah. mentally exhausted is a whole different thing. It's obviously not the same sensation, but my goodness, you sleep just as well though when you're physically exhausted versus mentally. Both of yeah. them wipe you out, right? It's crazy. No, so. no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, it. guys, go and check it out. The Wise Investor. Go get it on Amazon. Uh, get get the audio when it's available. Like, go for it. I, I think it's something that we all need to have. And I think because it's a parable, it will stick with you more than other books that may cover similar topics. So go and grab this. Uh, it was endorsed by Rich Dad and 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 uh, Robert Kiyosaki. You don't need to say any more than that, right? The guy mm-hmm. is thanks. the godfather. So um, listen, thanks for doing this, Rich. I really appreciate your time, man. I do. I know you're a busy guy. You have a lot going on. You're helping a lot of people. Uh, the fact that you jump on here to share with my audience is very cool. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I love it. Absolutely. What an amazing guy with a very cool story and just, gosh, tons of experience in his background. X Games and, you know, starting a gym at 23 and then all of his real estate stuff, obviously, and helping uh, people create wealth. Just an amazing background. Uh, 
wealth of information and somebody I probably could have talked to you for three or four hours. Like this could have been Joe Rogan style interview, uh, but I definitely don't uh, ask people to commit to that many, that much time, that many hours, but hopefully you guys get a sense of exactly just how incredibly knowledgeable uh, Rich was. He's just a really good guy. And I, I really do think you should go out and grab The Wise Investor. I think it'd be well worth the money it cost. Books are relatively cheap for the value that they can provide. And I think this one's going to provide the value. So go grab that and uh, get out there and make it happen. He obviously took action from a young age and never, ever stopped. Go do it. Create the life that you want. Quit living somebody else's life live your life on your terms. All right, guys, go out there and get after it. We'll see you next time.